Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga and the creator of the Momentum Magic Method, showing you the way to becoming a confident teacher who seamlessly shares cues and easily creates sequences, whose classes feel like events, who understands anatomy and who shares their passion in a unique and authentic way. On the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. In addition to the podcast, follow me on Instagram and TikTok for daily videos on teaching topics. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into the episode. Hi there. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 252. So I'm recording this on August 4th, 2023. This will go live on August 7th, Monday, as episodes always do. If you're new to the podcast, know that every Monday I will have a new episode for you. And I just passed 250 episodes, and probably for the past two years, I've consistently been posting every single week. So you can always depend on me for a new topic every week. Sometimes we have guests. If you missed last week's episode, I had a really interesting guest, Diana Sophia on, and she is a reprogramming coach. And neuro reprogramming is such an interesting topic. And I can certainly say I have lots of conversations with yoga teachers every week And so many yoga teachers are driven by certain beliefs that they're not even aware of, and it's causing them to add so much stress to their teaching. And so that whole idea of bringing limiting beliefs to the surface is a really important one for all of us to take a look at. So if you missed that episode, it was the one right before this one. So today, um, it's a Friday afternoon here in Boston, and I'm getting ready to head into the weekend. I wanted to get this recorded so I could get it off to my podcast manager and get it out there on Monday. Um, There's been a number of videos that I've shared on my Instagram and my TikTok. So if you are not connected with me on those two platforms or either of them, honestly, Instagram is really my favorite. Uh, do connect with me there because I'm always sort of inspired by different conversations I have with teachers. I have different uh, things I'm reading in the research and different um, just exposure I have to other science-based podcasts that always spurns ideas for me that I can share with you. So know that Instagram is really my other go-to channel in addition to the podcast here. And of course, the fun of that platform is you get the video, but I do love this whole idea of talking to you directly in audio only. I think there's something really powerful about audio only for content sharing in general, but especially when it comes to the types of conversations that I have with you here that we have together, because part of this is to share information with you about teaching and teaching skills and growing your your business as a yoga teacher. And part of it is, you know, really being honest with you about some of, like I said, some of the limiting beliefs that teachers have and some of the mindset topics that are so, so important for all of us to 
be keeping top of mind as we're out there teaching yoga. So before I go into today's episode main topic, which is about sequencing transitions, I want to just bring up something that came up today on a call I had with a yoga teacher who's based in the US. And I only mentioned that because I talk to yoga teachers all over the world. Um, and I do find that it doesn't really matter where they live. A lot of the challenges are really super similar. And so the topic that came up in speaking to this teacher is something that sort of breaks my heart when it comes up. And there's there's a number of things that sort of make me pause when I hear them from teachers, because number one, I hear them multiple times from different teachers. And number two, they usually are things that yoga teachers believe that are not true, but that are narratives sort of perpetuated out there in the yoga industry. And what they do is they hold a teacher back from teaching. And that is where my heart breaks because I really want, if you want to teach yoga or if you want to teach yoga better than you are teaching right now, and I only use that phrase as it's defined by you, not by any external standard, I want to support you in being able to do that. And so there's nothing to me more heartbreaking than when I speak to a yoga teacher and they have a limiting belief and it's not grounded in truth, but they think it is. And it's holding them back from teaching or holding them back from teaching in a way where they feel authentic and confident. So in this particular conversation, what came up was a situation where this particular teacher has gone through a 200 hour teacher training and they're at the point where they've just about completed it and they don't feel ready to teach. And it's really common that I hear this and how this particular teacher is experiencing their feelings around this situation is also very common. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about it in case you've ever felt this or in case you're feeling this now. So what this teacher shared with me was a feeling of, well, why don't I have the skills to teach? Why after taking this 200 hour training, did I not come out of it with skills around cueing and sequencing? Why don't I feel confident enough so that I can begin teaching? Is there something about me that I just didn't get it? Um, and also this teacher made some comments that led me to believe, and it wasn't what I believed, it was literally what this person said, that during the time they were in teacher training, there were accommodations that needed to be made in their personal life with their family to allow them to take the time to be in training. And so they also brought that up like, gosh, and I feel like I put my family through this whole period of time when I was in this 200 hour training and now I'm done with it and, um, or I'm almost done with it. And I'm not really feeling like I'm ready to teach. And so one of the things I want to just quickly say is that number one, please know that if you completed your 200 hour teacher training and you didn't feel confident or you didn't feel like you had the skills you needed to teach, that is okay. It is a very common feeling. Number two, it's not your fault. 
Number three, when you put additional pressure on yourself by saying things like, you know, I, I had my family, you know, change their schedule so that I could be in teacher training or, you know, I, whatever accommodations other people needed to make, that is not on you. That is part of the decision that was made by you and your family together. Like there is no guilt there. Like, please don't have guilt over that. What I hope for, for you and for all teachers that I talk to who are in a place where they want to teach and they recently finished their 200 hour training and they don't feel like they're ready is I want you to look at that just from a factual standpoint. Like, okay, I did my 200 hour teacher training. I don't feel ready to teach. I feel like not really confident and I don't have skills around A, B, and C. Where can I go to get those skills? Like I want it to be as matter of fact as that. I don't want it to mean anything. I don't want it to mean anything about you or mean anything about you and your family or mean anything about you and your relationship to your family. I want it for you to be as simple as I need to get X, Y, and Z from the grocery store. I'm going to go buy those things and then I'll have those things and I can bake that cake. Like I just want it to be not a, a situation that has all these other meanings. And the reason I'm sharing this with you and because this is sort of a not talked about subject is because I talk to so many teachers who have a lot of feelings. They're really in their feelings about this situation. And some teachers actually have all these feelings and they are through some pushing themselves to do it, teaching yoga, and they aren't really enjoying it. And they're kind of like, why am I even doing this? So this situation is not just one that has teachers that are not starting to teach because they're having a lot of obstacles doing that. It can also be a situation, and this may be you, where you got up enough nerve to actually teach, but what it looks like is that you're practicing the whole sequence with your class. You spend hours preparing every week. You're nervous when you're teaching in front of the class. You worry that you're not qualified enough, like all of those things. And um, it's kind of funny. Somebody asked me today, like, when you work with teachers in your program, Karen, do you work with teachers who feel fulfilled and they just want to get better? And this person that was saying this to me was um, was not someone who is a yoga teacher. And, and they were sort of looking at the work I do with yoga teachers from sort of a, a different perspective, sort of a business perspective. And I will tell you in this, I don't know, maybe you can relate to this. Sometimes I do speak to a yoga teacher and they'll say, everything's great. Everything's fine. I'm just looking to like learn new things. I'm always looking to expand my knowledge. And that to me is okay. Although I sort of wonder with teachers when they say that, like, what does that really mean? Are you sort of a cork in the ocean? Are you sort of just accepting things as they are? Are there maybe some challenges and you're not recognizing them? Like, I'm not really sure. It's kind of like, hmm, I really wonder what's going on there. Those are not typically teachers that enroll in my program. 
they're tip, those are typically not teachers that I work with. The teachers that I love working with are teachers who really want to teach and feel blocked from doing it because of some of what I described before or whatever the particular obstacle is, or teachers who are teaching and they just know that there has to be a, a better way for me to be doing this. And it could be like, there's got to be a way that I can save time creating my sequences. There has to be a way that I can walk into the studio and just teach the damn class and not have to unroll a yoga mat and be hands down on the floor in downward dog. You know, like, God, there's got to be a way I can go in and really feel authentic and confident. Like those are the teachers that I love working with, as well as teachers who are just like, God, I don't really know what the problem is, but I know it shouldn't be this hard. So if any of that resonates with you, definitely send me a DM on Instagram and just tell me you heard this episode and say, it's me. I would love to talk to you more about how you can help me because the, the, the world needs more yoga teachers who are confident and authentic. Matter of fact, I talked to another teacher today and she was saying something about sharing cues in a particular way and sharing a particular style of cue. And she said something like, what I would want to say is X, Y, Z. And she goes, but I don't really think that's the way teachers say it. And I said to her, are you kidding me? I said, the way you said it is perfect because you said it in your way. And that's what authentic teaching is. You know, when we try to mimic people, when we try to pretend to be like somebody else, when we say the thing because we think that's the way it's said when yoga teachers say it, that's when we're not being authentic. The world doesn't need any more of those teachers. The world needs more teachers who stand in their power. And I don't mean that in a trying to be powerful over people, but who stand confidently in front of their classes and teach yoga using their own words. You know, that's, that's authentic teaching. And so I was encouraging this teacher when I was chatting with her on the phone, the way you said it is perfect. Say it like that, because there is no way, quote unquote, to say it. There's no right way to say it. There's your way to say it. And the more you can lean into your way of saying it and be backed by solid anatomy-based knowledge, the more you, and I don't mean all the cues have to be anatomy-based. I'm just saying the more you can lean into cueing in your own way, not reading from a script, building sequencing, you know, in an intentional way and understanding the key aspects of movement, the more you have those skills, the better you will be as a teacher, the more enjoyment you will have. And again, when I say better, I mean, as defined by you, not as defined by some external standard, the more joy you will have, the more it will be a seamless thing for you to just walk into the damn room, teach the class, feel like you're in your dharma and go home and have no second thoughts, no kvetching over, oh my God, did I really do that? Teach the wrong side? Like it will just be seamless, a seamless integrated part of you. So having said that, let me flip to the conversation that I want to have with you today. And it's around transitions. And, you know, there are different kinds of transitions and I'm bringing this up because it's come up on a couple of calls I've had with teachers. When you think of a transition in your yoga sequence, so this is in the context of sequencing, 
um, the transition is really what's getting us from one place to the next in the sequence itself. So you can think of the architecture of the sequence as pose A to pose Z and all of what's in between. And then you can think of the transitions as the points in the sequence where you're sort of changing the topic a little bit, like changing, um, like finishing one chapter in a book and going to the next chapter. So first, I want to share with you some ideas, and this isn't an inclusive exhaustive list. These are some ideas around the types of transitions that we have in yoga classes. So we have standard transitions and standard transition transitions are usually baked into the style of yoga you're, you are teaching. So if it's Ashtanga or if it's Vinyasa or if it's power hot yoga or if it's Bikram, you know, sometimes the type of yoga will define the transitions and where they are in the sequence and what they look like, because it's a standard sequence that's sort of baked in with that style of yoga. Now, of course, when we talk a thing, talk about styles of yoga, like power yoga and hot power yoga and things like that, those are a little bit more general terms, um, but you can still consider one type of transition. And I'm gonna give you examples in a moment as falling into this category. Another type of transition signifies the end of one focus and the beginning of another focus of the sequence from a skill building perspective. So, you know, when you think about, okay, this part of the sequence is to teach them this, this part of the sequence is to teach them that, this part of the sequence will now teach them this. So the different sections of the sequence will focus on different things. And of course, the transition is what's going to be the bridge between those different areas of focus that are helping your students with different skills. Uh, the next type of transition is adding a level of challenge to the sequence overall. So let's say the architecture of the sequence has certain points where you want to add a certain level of challenge. And I don't necessarily mean a certain peak pose, uh, because of course, typically when we're building a sequence with a peak posture, there's just one. This is more about a particular sequence where a certain level of challenge might be interspersed throughout the sequence. So there might be a natural transition between those different sections of heightened challenge. So again, when I get to the examples, that'll make more sense. The next type of transition is one where it allows you to bring in a certain anatomical theme. So um, you may have an overall theme to your sequence, and then throughout the sequence, you may have different times where you want to emphasize that theme and may need to have a certain transition linking those sections that are focusing on that particular anatomical theme. And then the last one is um, certain sequences have transitions between sections that allow you to offer modifications to certain types of students. So this, um, you know, might be the kind of thing where you're teaching athletes or you're teaching seniors or you're teaching uh, people with certain physical challenges and you may want to have certain areas of transition that allow you to customize the sequence for that specialized group. So let's get into some examples, and this will kind of come to light as we get into this part two of this topic. So standard transitions are things like, when I was saying before, kind of baked into the, um, 
oftentimes standard transitions are baked into the style of yoga. So think about sun salutation A to sun salutation B. So those are two different sections and the transition might be if you're teaching sort of at the standard way, high to low push up, up dog, down dog. So that's the transitional piece that links sun salutation A to sun salutation B. And within each of those sections of the sequence as, as two discrete parts, that up dog, you know, um, high to low push up, up dog, down dog, that transitional uh, movement is part of sun salutation A, is part of sun salutation B, and also is the transition between those two sections of the sequence. So that's one example of a transition linking two different parts of the sequence, the one part being sun A and the other part being sun B. Uh, Example number two, where we talked about signifying the end of one part and shifting to another part, so let's say you are teaching lunges and then you're going to teach balances. So the sections of the sequence would be lunges, crescent lunge, let's say, and then you're moving to balances, let's say airplane. So you could do a series of lunges and then bring people from the last lunge into that connecting, what is commonly called the connecting vinyasa, high to low push up, up dog, down dog, and then bring them into some balances. Or you could cut out that connecting vinyasa and you could do lunges right into, let's say like an airplane or an eagle by simply having the person step into that balancing pose from the last lunge. So it's you know, different ways to get to the same place. Um, another transition could be between back bends to core. So let's say you have people on their back and they're doing bridge and wheel, and you know in your head the next section of the sequence is core. Well, what's the transition? You could have them do um, three bridges, three wheels, and then you could have them do supta baddha konasana soles of the feet together. You could have them hug their knees into their chest. You could have them do Viparita Karani with the feet up in the air. So either of those three things or three of those things together could be your transition to then get them to your next section of the sequence, which would be core focused. The next thing we talked about was adding a level of challenge. So this is where you can look at transitions as the way to add challenge. So this could be your warrior one to warrior two. So that in and of itself is a transition that adds a certain level of challenge because it's not something we typically do all the time. But that transition from warrior one to warrior two, you could blend into your general sequence to add a little challenge. You could add warrior two to reverse warrior. You could add warrior one to warrior three directly as a transition to add challenge. You could add airplane to standing split as a transition that adds challenge because all of these examples I'm giving you just in the linkage of the two poses 
as an actual movement adds challenge because number one, you're connecting two poses that don't often show up together. They're usually done discreetly, separately. And depending on the other variables you play with, pace, hold, uh, in each posture, time held in each posture, that can add challenge too. And of course, all of these things, but in particular, airplane to standing split, that is a balance. So now we're working on lateral hip stability, we're working on foot dexterity, we're working on balance in general, we're working on proprioception. So there's a lot to be gained by the student by adding in these types of challenge transitions. The next thing was bringing in an anatomical theme. So let's say your anatomical theme for your class is hip mobility, and you create a sequence around hip mobility you could have several different sections of the class focus on a different aspect of hip mobility and then create a transition between each section that in its most basic could look like the high to low pushup, up dog, down dog, if a lot of it is happening on the front end of the sequence with students on their feet. And then when they get down to the floor, you could do transitions that look like hugging the knees in the, to the chest, rocking up to seated. Um, so there's different ways to use simple movements to connect the sections of the sequence with the overarching theme being hip mobility. And the reason this works well from a hip, uh, from an anatomical standpoint perspective is because the hip has a lot of different movements because it's a ball and socket joint. So it gives us a lot of mobility. So you could work through both flexion and extension, abduction, adduction, and internal and external rotation. So a hip mobility focused class doesn't have to be all about quote unquote, opening the hips. You could have several different sections that focus on those different movements, use a connecting transition to piece together the standing parts, and then um, a transition, common transition to piece together the parts on the floor. And that could really give your students a wonderful experience with an overarching theme of hip mobility, which you could speak to at the beginning of class and give them a quick one minute, um, not dissertation, one minute blurb about the hip, about the anatomy of the hip so that they have that as a starter thought, and then they go into the sequence and at the end they have the complete experience. The, la uh, the next one is opportunity to offer modifications. So think about if you're teaching a class with, you know, I, I, I'm not sure of exactly what scenario, like let's say you go into um, an assisted living center. So you, or I don't, well, let's just stick with that. Let's say you go into an assisted living center or some situation where people have limited mobility and you decide you're going to teach a whole bunch of poses on the feet and then a whole bunch of poses on the ground and you're going to have um, not as many transitions from standing to the ground because it would be super challenging for this particular type of class. So think about in this scenario, you're not really going to have transitions like we've been talking about where you're keeping people in flow. Here, you're really going to lean into discrete sections of the sequence as a way to accommodate. So it's kind of like regressing the sequence in a way rather than progressing it and making it more challenging. So here you might say, 
to yourself, I'm going to do all the standing poses. And then once I'm done with all the standing poses as sort of section one of this sequence, then I'm going to have people come down to the ground and come into tabletop. Then I'm going to have them come onto their belly and do a bunch of stuff on the belly. Then I'm going to have them come back to their hands and knees, come to seated, go onto the back, hug the knees into the chest, and then we'll do a bunch of stuff on the back. So in that description that I just shared with you, did you see how I just put these really simple movements in between stuff on the feet, stuff on the belly, stuff on the back as the transition to get the student from section A to section B to section C. So that's that. those are the transitions that are the links in the chain that connect the sequence. Um, and then the opportunity to offer, oh, that's the last one I'm looking at my notes, sorry. The last thing I wanted to bring up is just some actual transitions. I already talked to you about the typical one, which is the up dog, down dog, you know, high to low push up, up dog, down dog, as we sort of typically hear, do your connecting vinyasa. So that's one natural transition that's done a lot. And then um, you can also use hands and knees slash cat cow as a transitional movement. You can use, of course, child's pose as a transitional movement. You can use, if people are on the back, hugging the knees into the chest and rocking up to seated or rocking up to standing. So these things all become ways to just create a linkage from section to section. So that brings us to the end of this one. This was a shorter one than usual, um, but I hope it packed a punch for you. I think it's a nice balance between the front end of our conversation about mindset and beliefs and then the second part of our conversation is more focused on sequence building, a particular aspect of it, which falls more into the bucket of technical teaching skills. So of course, any questions, I want you to send me a DM on Instagram, reference this episode and let me know what your question is. And number two, I'm recording this in August. If you're um, listening to this and you're thinking, wow, I really would like by the middle of September to really have my ducks in a row, to really have confidence around my teaching, to really have the, the challenges solved around cueing and sequencing and understanding anatomy, send me a DM on Instagram, reference this conversation in this podcast. You can even just use the words, tell me more or tell me how you can help me. I'll know what you're talking about and we can hop on a quick call and I can find out more about you and find out if you are a teacher, I can help. So with that, I'm going to wrap this one up. Thank you so much for listening, especially if you're still listening. It means you made it to the end of this episode. So thank you so, so much. And I can't wait to chat with you again on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And the fact that you're still here and still listening is not lost on me. So thank you so much. Couple of things. If you have any questions, please contact me. Send me what your questions are directly to my Instagram DM. You can find me there at Bare Bones Yoga. The next thing I hear so much from yoga teachers that they want to be 
confident. They want to feel more confident. They don't want to have that nervous feeling in their stomach when they get up to teach. They don't want to stumble over their words. They want to create sequences fast and not spend so much time writing out their sequences and practicing their sequences. And they so much want to just walk around the room rather than being tied to the mat and practicing the entire sequence with their class. If any of this hits home for you and you want to develop into a more confident, authentic teacher in the next 30 days, I want you to DM me, confident teacher, heard it on the podcast, and I will show you exactly how you can get there. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on the next episode.